Imagine you are at home one evening and going through the mail you find a bill from the IRS. You open it and find that you are being billed $59 for your family's share of the $6.8 billion a year in federal earmarks. Then the phone rings and it's a representative from the oil industry reminding you that your family owes $160 for your share of the $18.5 billion in federal oil subsidies. As you get off the phone, you notice you have an email. And yes, it's a bill from the banking industry reminding you that your family owes $6,086 for their share of the $700 billion bank bailout. And then there's a knock at the door, and it's the local farmer. And he stops by to remind you that you owe him $173 for your share of the $20 billion farm subsidy for that year. And before he leaves, he drops off a few gallons of ethanol to remind you that you are required to mix that with the gasoline in your car for your share of the ethanol subsidy. As he leaves, he tells you not to worry about the fact that your car will get poor gas mileage from the ethanol and the ethanol will be harder on your engine components. You're still doing the right thing. This is clear evidence that we live in a subsidization nation. This is the Free to be Free podcast, encouraging you to assert your liberty because you are free to be free. All right. So let's start this discussion by defining exactly what a subsidy is. Often we simply think of a subsidy as giving money to someone. But a government subsidy can take one of many, many forms. It can be simply a gift of money or a grant. It can be an earmark targeted for a certain uh, member of Congress's district. And it can also be purchasing something at greater than market value. But there are many other forms as well. Tax concessions are a common form of subsidy where a company is given a tax break by the government. And that, that can often happen at the local level when a, a new business is coming to town and the local town council or the state government may give them a tax abatement. Also, loans of credit are subsidies, and, and this happens quite a bit when the federal government backs a business or loans their credit to that business, and, and we typically see a lot of that in the banking industry. And then finally, government ownership of stock in a company in some forms can also be considered a subsidy. So let's take a look at how big this problem really is and who's benefiting from it. You may remember I mentioned earmarks as a form of subsidies. And if you're somebody who follows government or politics closely, you may have said, wait a minute, I thought that the Congress had acted to get rid of earmarks, if only that were true. An organization called Citizens Against Government Waste produces what they call their pig report. And they have shown that in 2017, 
there were $6.8 billion in earmarks despite the supposed ban on earmarks. And let's look at who benefits from these uh, direct government subsidies. The information I'm about to present to you comes from a report called Uncle Sam's Favorite Corporations, published by Good Jobs First. And this data is from a report they published in 2015. So let's first look at the companies that have benefited most from direct grants and allocated tax credits. You might be surprised to hear that the company at the top of the list is a company known as Iberdrola. I struggle with pronouncing that because it's not a company I've heard of before. Have you? That's because it's a company headquartered in Spain. And in the study, they received $2.1 billion in federal grants and tax credits in the 2015 report. Now, you're probably wondering, how can a foreign company get so much in government subsidies? And the fact of the matter is, they do have U.S. subsidiaries in the alternative energy industry, and that's the source of most of their subsidies. Some other companies in the list are Nextera Energy, NRG, Southern Company, Summit Power, SCS Energy. Do you see a pattern here? Uh, a lot of energy subsidies in the recent past. And each of those companies I just mentioned have received anywhere between $1.2 billion and $2 billion worth of federal grants and tax credits as reported in the study. And since I've already pointed out that subsidies for foreign corporations are a problem, I might as well tell you that the top 10 foreign-based companies in the study enjoyed subsidies to the tune of $5.5 billion. I just don't understand how U.S. taxpayers can be on the hook for that much money to foreign corporations. Now, another type of subsidy that I mentioned is loaning of credit or, or bailout assistance and those kind of things. And you probably heard a lot of this back in 2008 uh, during the banking crisis. But the largest recipient of loans and loan guarantees is Bank of America. I guess the only virtue there is at least it's an American company. But they received roughly $3.5 trillion dollars in loan guarantees and federal loans in the study. Citigroup was next at $2.5 trillion, followed by Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan Chase with $2.1 and $1.3 trillion in subsidies, respectively. But here's a, the problem we identified before creeping up again. Number five in the study, receiving $1 trillion in loan guarantees, is Barclays. And that's a British company. And if I drop down to number seven, jumping over Goldman Sachs, I find Royal Bank of Scotland at $651 billion. Right behind them, Credit Suisse at $532 billion. And then Deutsche Bank with $478 billion. And then BMP Paribus with $374 billion. There's a nice bunch of foreign banks enjoying loan guarantees thanks to your tax dollars. 
Now, as usual, you'll find links to both of the studies I've just cited in the show notes, and I encourage you to take a look at those for yourself. So I think we can all agree that subsidies are a bad thing. They, they cause a lot of negatives in our economy. Uh, first of all, they're a redistribution of wealth and a violation of property rights. It's simply taking money from taxpayers and giving it to, I'll use the term, Uncle Sam's favorite corporations. It also allows the federal government to pick winners and losers. It's pretty obvious that recently the federal government has been trying to make a winner out of alternate energy sources. Well, I guess while still subsidizing the oil industry, as I've pointed out, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I can't imagine that that is well-spent money. And then, of course, this clearly adds to our problem of a spiraling out-of-control federal debt. This kind of subsidization simply has to stop if we're going to get control of that debt. Subsidization also distorts free markets. It messes with pricing, which is the most important mechanism in free markets to communicate where resources should flow. And distorting the free market is a hidden tax that we all pay. Subsidies also create what is called a moral hazard. And this happens when the government provides loan credits or backs an industry if they get into trouble, like the bank bailouts, or for example, the FDIC guarantees on bank deposits. A moral hazard you often find in the insurance industry when an insurance company covers a property or something like that, Moral hazard is the phenomenon when the property owner acts in a more reckless fashion because they know somebody else is on the hook if things go wrong. And banks certainly act this way. When they know their deposits are covered by an FDIC guarantee or when they count on the government to come bail them out if they get in trouble as they did in 2008, they're going to be more reckless with their investment decisions and more reckless with not maintaining a sufficient capital balance to keep the bank afloat. Subsidies also create crony capitalism, where subsidies are sent to an industry, and those industries then, through lobbyists, influence the federal government to do more of the same. Subsidies are also a key part of regulatory capture, and I talked about this in our last podcast, Regulation Nation. And briefly, it's where an industry will gain control of the regulatory agency that is set up to regulate that industry. And one of the things that the industry is looking for is through the regulator to gain subsidies for those companies. And finally, subsidies actually are not constitutional. Subsidizing industries is not among the enumerated powers found in the Constitution. Now, the clause in the Constitution that's often used to justify subsidies is called the General Welfare Clause, where Congress is authorized to spend for the general welfare when it's related to an enumerated power, and spending on just about anything comes from a misinterpretation of what the term general welfare means. So if you think about it, if the Congress is authorized to spend for the general welfare, it would not be authorized to spend for whatever is the opposite of general welfare. And a way to think of general welfare is it's any spending for the common good. 
So I would say the opposite of general welfare is specific welfare. And that's exactly what subsidies are. They're targeted to certain individuals or industries and focusing on their welfare rather than the total national welfare. So for example, government spending on defense, I would argue is for the general welfare. We all benefit from that. But then government spending on subsidies for specific industries is the specific welfare and therefore not authorized in the Constitution. Now what I find promising regarding the problem of subsidies is that there is a proven solution to the problem. And of course, the Convention of States project is how we can bring the solution to bear on the problem. But what I'm specifically talking about is a clause that is found in a number of state constitutions that addresses this problem. Now from a previous podcast when I talked about what makes a good amendment, I'm really excited about this possibility uh, because it meets a lot of those criteria. Now before I jump into this, I need to do my disclaimer that the Convention of States project does not specifically support any amendments, including the one I'm about to talk about, but I want to bring this one up as an illustration of how the Convention of States project could work. So this amendment exists in some form in about three dozen state constitutions. It has the benefit that it's brief, and it has the advantage that we have experience with it. As I said, in about three dozen states have this type of clause in their constitution So we have experience with how it worked and how it's been applied in courts. So that is some great material for when we get to a convention of states for the delegates from each state to discuss the possibility of this and perhaps craft something that's going to address this problem. And finally, this is germane to the convention of states application because it would impose a fiscal restraint on the federal government. So what I want to do is read to you this clause as it appears in the Arizona State Constitution. I picked that one because it's kind of, kind of general and it's very similar to some other constitutions. And the clause reads like this. Article 9, Section 7. Neither the state nor any county, city, town, municipality, or other subdivision of the state shall ever give or loan its credit in the aid of or make any donation or grant by subsidy or otherwise to any individual, association, or corporation, or become a subscriber to or a shareholder in any company or corporation, or become a joint owner with any person, company, or corporation, except as to such ownership as may accrue to the state by operation or provision of law or as authorized by law solely for investment of the monies in the various funds of the state. Now that may sound like a mouthful, but there are three basic clauses in that provision. The first is the credit clause. It's a prohibition on the state or any subdivision of the state from loaning its credit to a company or a partnership or an individual. The second is the gift clause where it prohibits gifts or subsidies to any organization or individual. And then finally, there's the stock ownership clause where the state is prohibited from being an owner in a corporation. And then at the end, with the exception of where the state may own 
shares of stock, perhaps in a retirement fund or through employee 401k plans and things like that. But just imagine if we were to take that clause and we throw out all the language about the state and substitute it, the federal government and its agencies and divisions, and they have the same prohibition. That could put an end to our subsidization nation and put us on track for balancing the budget, getting federal spending under control, reducing crony capitalism, getting the government out of disrupting free markets through price controls and, and subsidies. This could just be a very, very powerful solution to the problem. But again, this all starts with holding the Convention of States. So I urge you to get involved so you can be a part of putting an end to subsidization nation. This is the Free to be Free podcast. I'm Paul Phillips. The opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. You can learn more about the Convention of States project at conventionofstates.com. You can also find the Convention of States project on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The most important thing that you can do at conventionofstates.com is to study and learn the issue for yourself. Then you'll want to sign the petition. This will let your state legislators know that you are ready to assert your liberty through an Article 5 Convention of the States. Until next time, stay free, my friends.